My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. And we're right in the middle of this series called EQ. And so let me start by reminding you what EQ is and why we're talking about it. EQ, as you see on the slide, stands for emotional intelligence. In contrast to IQ, so there are different ways of of measuring personal capacity. One is the, your capacity for thought and cognitive reasoning. The other one is your capacity for emotions and relationships and, and how those work in our lives. And so EQ has two components. There's the self and then there's the others component. The self component is what I am able to recognize and acknowledge my own emotions, what's going on inside me, and I'm able to respond appropriately to that. That's what we've been talking about in the first part of the series, including today. And then the second part, the others component, has to do with recognizing and acknowledging the emotions of other people that I'm in relationship with around me and learning how to respond rightly to Though their emotions and what that would mean, and that's what we're going to start. We're going to pivot a little bit at the end of today to talk more about the relational part in the next uh, couple of weeks. And so EQ is really the, it's like the intersection between your emotional life and your relational life and how those two things uh, work together. So let me illustrate what I mean by telling you a story. It's the very, very first conflict situation that I encountered as a young, brand new pastor over 35 years ago. And um, pastoring a very small church is about 15 people. In fact, we'd come out from school to Ogden, Utah to plant this new church. And um, from a little Bible study group, that's all we were working with at the time. And so, what you know, when a church, a new church starts... All kinds of people come bringing their expectations for what they think church should be like. And this is our chance to get it right, you know, they think. And so there's all kinds of, like, hidden agenda going on there. And so what happened in this new little church is that one couple went out on their own initiative without talking to anybody about it, and they bought some decorations that they liked for the building that we were renting. And so we all walked in one Sunday morning, and there they are, prominently displayed the things that this couple had gotten, and, and, and it was a surprise to even to me, you know, as the pastor. Well, the queen bee of our little group didn't like it, and so um, she called the other woman to express her disapproval of that, and she did that without really any emotional intelligence at all. She just called this other woman and she went off on this generous, perhaps misguided uh, donation that these people had made. And then the other woman responded with very little emotional intelligence herself. She got really angry. She refused to talk about it. Between the two of them, they refused to let me come in and and try to sort of arbitrate things. And eventually this second woman uh, just left the church. And often I've thought about that over and over again of how really how things would have been so much better in their lives, in their relationship, and in the life of our little, of our little congregation. If both those women were more self-aware about their emotions and about how to express their emotions, and if they were a little bit more thoughtful about the emotions of the other person. Now, by the way, I have no idea where the husbands were in all of this. I don't remember where the husbands were. And I think, I think both of those guys were just trying to stay out of the way of two women on the warpath, I think. But my point is, 
That's an illustration of, of importance of emotional intelligence. Now, we've been trying to make the case in this whole series about how even though the Bible doesn't use the term emotional intelligence or EQ, that the concept itself is very biblical because God created us as emotional and as relational beings and because God cares about those aspects of our lives. The Bible speaks a lot of volume about both of those things. And so last week, we talked about being more self-aware about what's going on in our inner life, in our emotional life, being able to identify. We'll, we'll pick up on that today and kind of take that to the next thing. The next thing I want to talk about is then how to express those emotions. And that's where the relational part starts to come in. How to express those emotions. And some people are like, you know, I have an emotion, so boom, you're going to know about it, you know. Boom, I'm just going to express that. I'm going to speak. It's just going to get out there unfiltered. And I felt it, so you got to know it. And there it is, no matter what. Or others, if you're more like me, it's like, I have an emotion, I think, and um, I'm just going to stuff it. I'm going to hide it. I'm not going to let anybody ever hear about it. And, um, you know, it's, I'll just deal with it and bury it somewhere. But what I want to do today is to think about some responses that are more biblical, that are healthier than that, where we can, yes, have our emotions, because we all do, but where we can express them appropriately with others in mind. Okay, that's emotional intelligence. So today, I'm going to outline a process. It's a process of four steps, four steps to expressing emotions. And each of the steps in this process embodies a biblical principle of healthy emotions in the context of the relationships in our lives. So here we go, number one. The first step is to identify the what and the why of your feelings. And don't be afraid to admit emotions like anger, anxiety, sadness, disappointment, or, or whatever it may be. And so when you're in a situation and your emotions get all whipped up, the first thing I'm saying is you, you, know, you stop and think. Now that's not our first response typically. Our, our gut default response is probably not to stop and think, but I, I'm encouraging you to ask yourself two things. Number one, what is it that I'm feeling? And put a name on it. Now, some of the emotions that we commonly feel, maybe that emotion is very familiar to you. And, and you're, you don't have to think about what it's called or what it is that's happening. You and, you and that emotion are, are pretty good friends by now in your life. But sometimes a situation arises in life where that emotion might not be that familiar to you. And it's confusing. And you're wondering, like, whoa, whoa, what is it that I'm feeling right now? What is that that's going on inside of me? So I want to ask what it is and put a name on it. And then the second question I want to ask is, why am I feeling this way? And by that, I don't mean just because, you know, you made me feel this way. No, I'm asking for deeper reasons. I want to evaluate, like, what is it that really kicked up my anger so strongly based on what just happened? Why did I respond? My, I mean, that just seems like, whoa, where did that come from? Or, or where is this fear coming from? I, I, I don't know why that, that event triggered such a response of fear. Or why did the words that you said make me feel so sad? You're asking why. Now, I'm gonna, let me be vulnerable with you a little bit about my own emotional life. For a long time, my personality as an introvert, my culture, my family of origin, all of these things conspire to make me a 
pretty emotionally stunted person, you know. So I've never really been very aware of or very expressive of my emotions in my whole life. And then in middle age, some things happened. God really began to create in me an emotional awakening, really. And I, I learned a lot more about emotional intelligence, not just theoretically, but in stuff that happened in my life that, where God connected with my emotional life. And so, for example, one thing that happened is uh, some years ago, uh, my teenage daughter at that time and her boyfriend um, sat me and her mom down and she told us she was, she was pregnant. And my emotional response to that moment really surprised me. It's not what I thought I would feel. Not, number one, you never thought you'd hear that, you know, but it's not what I thought I would feel. I thought maybe I would feel anger and want to rip that young man's face off. Or I thought maybe I'd feel disappointment you know, in my daughter and so forth. But what I really felt is just, it just kicked me into a deep sadness. And I didn't know why. I didn't know where that's coming from. And so in the days that followed and the weeks that followed, um, as I thought about the why, you know, I'm asking myself, what am I feeling? And why am I feeling that way? And as I thought about that, I realized I was grieving the death of my idea of what it would be to be a grandpa. I was grieving the loss of all the dreams and all the things that I thought, you know, being a grandfather would involve. I didn't have any other grandkids, and then that th this baby was going to come, and, um, and that was a loss to me. Now, she placed the, her daughter up for adoption, and uh, she's growing up in California somewhere, and about two or three years ago, the, the adoptive family stopped communicating and stopped sending us annual pictures and stuff like that. So I have this granddaughter I've never met, and at this point, I probably will never meet her. And that was a really sad time for me. And also, it was a very emotionally confusing time for me, and it didn't, I didn't understand what was going on just like in a minute. Or just like overnight, it took a long time. And so one of the things I learned then is that, that the healthy emotional life and part of expressing our emotions in a healthy way starts with when we own them and we admit them and we seek to understand what's going on in our emotional being. And we see a model of this in the Psalms. Here's David, the psalm writer, in Psalm 143, shows us what this looks like. He says, My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I'm losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. Verse 7, Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me, or I will die. See, look how he names his emotions in this psalm. He says, man, I, I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I'm hopeless. And he's okay with admitting those things. Now, I don't know what you think about, like, a guy who writes psalms. Maybe you think it's a, like this, like, um, just a wimpy guy sitting there playing a harp or something, or a lyre or something like that. David was a battle-tested warrior. He was a conqueror. He was the king of Israel. He was a red-blooded man, and he was in touch with his feelings. And what was going on, he was aware of them, and he was able to express those things. That's a great example for us. Now, another thing that I think is interesting here is that he wrote them down. Because sometimes some of us, we're, we're more that, we're, more, we're not as like verbally processing. We, it's hard to talk to somebody face-to-face -face maybe about some of the things that we feel, but he, he wrote them down. 
And that's a good model for the Psalms for some of us that we can um, just, you know, kind of maybe create a diary or a journal or something or uh, write a song or something to put it down in words that nobody else ever has to even see. Now, we see the Psalms. I don't know what else he wrote that we've never seen. Nobody's going to put yours in, a, in the Bible, right? But we can, it's just another way that we can do the work of understanding and naming what's going on inside of us, right? Okay, so that transitions directly into the second step, that once you have identified and admitted the emotions that are welling up inside you, the second thing is to take time to pray about what you're feeling and make it a habit of bringing your issues, bringing your emotions to God first not as an afterthought. Okay, so part of being reflective about your inner life is to reflect on things in the presence of God, consciously before God. Now, a lot of people never talk to God about their emotions. Maybe you've never even thought about that that's something you would pray about. At least until finally when you got desperate, you had nowhere else to turn, and you finally got, like, brought it up to God. But before you express your frustration or your hurt to someone else, First, you're going to give it some thought. You're going to evaluate it. And then second, as you do that, you're going to do that in the context of taking it to God in prayer. God, help me understand this. Help me not to overreact to this. Help me not to respond to what I'm feeling in a sinful way. Because, you know, we just learned in week one of this series, we learned that the heart is deceitful. And so... Just because you feel something doesn't mean the response that you're about to make to it is the right response. So going to God in prayer helps me to figure that out. It helps me to get the humility to evaluate the emotion. That time in prayer is where we get the wisdom to understand what's going on. And that time in prayer is where we get the strength to deal with that emotion or that situation in uh, the right way. And so Take it to God, prepare your heart to expect God to speak to you about the things that are on your mind, on your heart. So watch how David, again, a little bit farther down in the same psalm, watch how he is processing his emotions in the presence of God. He says, God, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Teach me to do your will, for you're my God. Because of your faithfulness, bring me out of this distress. So here's David. He says, you know, you know what, I, God, I, I, I want to trust you with this. God, I want to ask for your direction. I want to commit myself to follow your way. I need your loving kindness. I need you to resolve this issue in my life. But here's a practical thing. What if... You're in the middle of a conflict right in the moment. You know, conflicts and emotions don't come by schedule, do they? They come whenever they come. And you're ready for it or not. And it'd be nice if you could say, well, I got time, you know, Thursday at, 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 at 8 o'clock to deal with that. But they just come in the moment. What if, you know, you're in the middle of this conflict situation. Do, do you really have time to go somewhere and, and I'll pray all about it? Your emotions are all stirred up. That other person's emotions are all agitated. And, and how are you going to take time to go pray about what you're feeling? How does that work? Well, a couple of thoughts here. First of all, I want you to know that you can talk to God right then and there. Now, you don't have to like get down on your knees or close your eyes. and you don't, You're not even going to speak out loud, right? But in your heart, you just gonna, I just encourage you that you take a step back 
emotionally and mentally and just, just launch up a prayer to God. It's a 30-second prayer to God. Even just, just God help me with this right now. But it's another thing, another way to think about this is that sometimes it's okay to take a time out. You know, you're both going at each other. You're both frustrated. You can feel it escalating, and it's getting hotter and hotter in the room, and your voices are rising, and, and it's getting challenging, you know. And so it's okay at that moment to say, look, I'm not feeling very rational about this right now. Can we come back to this conversation in a few minutes? That's okay. It's okay. Whether it's in marriage or a workplace situation or a team that you're on, whatever it might be, you don't have to deal with everything right now. Now, of course, if you want to initiate the timeout, you have to make sure the other person understands that you're not just avoiding the issue. right? You say, no, we're going to deal with that, but we just need a break to cool off for a minute. Okay, let's deal with that after lunch. So Sally and I, um, we have our share like everybody, right? And so we're really different from each other. Sally is a get-it-solved-right-now kind of person. Like, bam, we're going we're gonna to do this, and we're going to get this done. And she's a verbal processor. So everything she says, you know, it, may, it might not be her final f- concept, but she's saying it, and it's kind of starting to make sense to her, and she's working it out as she speaks. But I'm really different from that. I'm more of an internal processor, and... I want lots of time to think about it, to think about every little angle and every nuance, and and I want to do the processing here privately. And so it's not always easy for her to take a time out. So she's being stretched, you know. I could take time, and I'm being stretched because when I do think about it and I do resolve my feelings, you know, I might forget to let her know what's going on inside of me, you know. So she thinks, and I'm thinking this, and it's like, we're learning, right? We're learning and we're growing in this. But the point is that let's make it a habit. The reason I bring this up, we want to make it a habit of bringing our emotions to God first. And the time out is a way to do that. Now look at how the New Testament talks about this. In Philippians chapter 4, He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, this particular verse focuses on worry. That might not be the emotion that you're facing right now, but the point is the same, right? He says, it's God's invitation for us to bring that emotion to him. And what we see here is that when we go to God in prayer, then with our worries or our hurts or the things that are upsetting us, whatever it might be, that has a way of, of changing our perspective about stuff. It's easy just to tell God what you need. And you know what? He invites us in this verse to do that. But, the, but don't stop there. Because part of the biblical strategy of emotional health, he says here, is also to thank God. And when I do that, it softens my heart. It helps me to get my focus back on God and off myself. And it gives me hope for what God can do in that situation. And I want you to know you can even thank God for that person who ticks you off. And you can certainly thank God for how he's at work in your life, in your own emotional inner battles and struggles. So step one is to identify and admit your emotions Step two is to take time to pray about what you're feeling. And you know what? In a lot of cases, the situation is resolved by then. 
And that might be all you need. And then you're good and you, you, you know, you're ready to move on. But if after those first steps you're still wrestling with the emotion and how to express it in a healthy way, then you go on to step three, which is to seek counsel from a trusted friend and ask them for honest feedback about what you're feeling or for how to respond. See, an emotionally healthy person is able to ask others for honest feedback. And one thing I've noticed over the years is about, about emotionally unhealthy people is that they often don't have truthful friends. And people have to walk on eggshells around them. And anybody who brings something up, you're going to get punished for it in some way or another. But you know what? We all need someone that we can go to and say, look, I am struggling with this right now. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I can't shake the sadness right now. I, I need you to help me. Am I thinking rightly about this? Am I overreacting to this? Am I being selfish about this? I need your input. For example, I have a friend who's a pastor at another church in town. And just Thursday morning, I, I had an, a meeting with him. We met at a local coffee shop, and, and we catch up on things, and we talk about these kind of things. And I was ready to go to him and, and, and talk to him about some relationship challenges that I'm facing in different relationships in my world and, and try to get some feedback from him to see if I'm responding the right way. And, and I was able to raise those, but you know what I found out when we got together that his situation is a lot more challenging than mine right now. And so this time I was more the confidant and he was able to share his emotional stresses and challenges with me and I was able to give him some feedback and to be honest with him about, look, here's the way you need to follow up with that. And I hope you have someone like that you can talk to in your life. It might be your spouse if you're married. It might not be your spouse because if it's a situation that affects you emotionally deeply, it might affect your spouse emotionally as well and they might have a hard time being objective. So hopefully you've got someone that you can talk to who's trusted and who's uh, not emotionally stirred up themselves. Now here's the thing. You might be thinking, man, it's a lot of work to go out and, and find somebody and talk, tell them about get their feedback. It's a lot of emotional vulnerability that I've got to go and you know, let somebody else in on this stuff. Why would I do that? Well, here's what the Proverbs says in, in the Bible. Proverbs 12. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So the world says, follow your heart. The Bible says, essentially, it's saying this, fools follow their heart. But wise people listen to wise people. They find someone who can tell them the truth. Now, of course, it has to be a trusted friend. It has to be someone who's not just going to validate your perspective, but who might be able to tell you what you need to hear instead of just what you want to hear. And you have to give them permission. You have to let them know that you actually want their honesty and not just their sympathy. And then there's some good ground rules. You know, you be careful about how you go about it. You don't want to gossip. You don't want to just vent. You don't want to uh, share things that ought to be confidential about other people that, that you shouldn't give them too much information. That's why this step comes after step number two. There's a, really something important about the order there that we need to talk to God first before we go out and talk to other people about the situation that we're in. Now, here's how you know if you're not just gossiping, you're not just venting in an unhealthy way, you know that because you're willing to follow step four. Make a productive plan. 
that invites peace first for yourself and then for others and be intentional about following through on the plan. You see, here's the thing about the Christian life. The Christian life is intentional. It's not passive. The Christian life, because we're called to obedience, because we're called to followership, it's about consciously putting God's principles into practice in order to have a flourishing life. And that takes decisions. We have to take certain steps to do that. And so the whole point in self-evaluation and the whole point in talking to God about the issue, the whole point in bringing a trusted third party in to talk with it about me about it, the whole point is that in the end, you're going to do the right thing with your emotion. You're going to maybe express it the right way. That means having a plan. Now part of that means, when we talk about a plan for peace, part of that means you come to peace within yourself. You get your heart right when you talk to God about it. When you share maybe with a trusted person who can give you some input, that has a way of getting our heart right about it. And making peace with yourself, I don't mean less like you come to the place where you're just justifying your own bad attitude. Right? What I mean is you come to the place where you're able to say, I've worked it through, I've done all the steps, I've done what I need to do, and I've got to this place where I'm no longer only just reacting emotionally anymore. And here's what, here's what the Bible promises when you do bring it to God. It promises you can have peace about it. Isaiah chapter 26 You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Great promise. And so then, as we start working out, coming to this place of peace in our own inner emotional life, then we go on to complete step four in our relational life with that other person. Because here's the other part of peace. Romans chapter 12, this is a very challenging but also a very encouraging verse. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now you know if you've been around the block a little bit as an adult, you know very well that none of us has any control over the choices other people make. None of us has any control over how people respond to us. That's why he says the Bible in its wisdom says, do all that you can do. As far as it is up to you, live at peace. It's a recognition that there's part of that that's not up to me. There's part of it that's up to me. There's part of it that's not up to me. And so... Regardless of where the relationship is going, what's going to happen in the relationship, I want to ask myself, have I done everything I can to live at peace? Have I fully taken ownership of my part of the situation and done what's in my power to do? So I'm not responsible for what the other person does with that. But I'm totally responsible for what I choose, for what I do. And so what's your plan to live in peace in that relationship. Well, you've been talking to God about it. You've been getting counsel from other people. And as you do, this plan starts to emerge in your heart and in your mind and you start to get to the place where I know what to do. Now, am I gonna do it? But I begin to see what the next step is for me. And so maybe in that process, you realize I need to go to that person. I need to honestly tell them how they affected me and how what my feelings are about what they said, about what they did, but I need to do it in a way that is calm and it's not destructive and it's under control, under the control of the Spirit of God. Or maybe you realize in in that process, maybe I need to go to that person, I just need to ask them, I need to help them help me understand more fully what's going on with them. 
Maybe I don't understand fully what's going on in their life. And that's maybe my next action step to bring peace, is to listen. Or maybe it comes to the point where my action plan is, at this point, I just need to forgive and let it go. Or it might be that I come to realize that I need to go to that person and I need to take ownership for my part and ask their forgiveness toward me. Now, I just had a situation recently where some things were said by another Christian that I felt were hurtful and untrue. And my initial gut reaction to that, before I spent some kind of time thinking and talking to God about it, my initial gut reaction is probably what yours might be, is that I just was angry and I wanted to lash out and I wanted to be defensive and just tell that person off and I just wanted to not have anything to do with them ever again. Just write off that relationship. But I finally came to the place, working through a process like this, finally came to the place where I understood what my plan needed to be. And so I reached out and I asked the other party to meet with me. And I said, you know, bring anybody you want with you. I don't care who you bring. Bring a third party. Bring somebody, whatever, so that you feel safe, so that you feel heard, whatever it might be. Bring somebody with you. And let's talk about the distrust that has arisen between us. Let's figure out what's going on. And let's be reconciled. Let's be at peace. And they said, no. No, we don't want to meet. They just shut it down. Now, at that point, I was tempted to go pursue it and try to make it happen. But I realized that I had fulfilled my obedience to God from, from Romans chapter 12. Now, I still sometimes have an ongoing emotion that stirs up once in a while, you know, that I have to talk to God about, you know, but I tried my best to do what I could do, and I took the initiative as far as it was, was in my power, and, and I don't have any control over the choices that that other person makes in response to me, and so I can now confidently just leave the results in God's hands. My point is don't just let emotions toss you around like a boat out on the ocean waves. But make a plan that leads to peace. A plan that reflects what you can do, what is dependent on you and your choices and your actions. And then with God's guidance and with God's strength, go do it. So I guess what I'm saying today What I'm really trying to get at is the Bible is calling us to emotional health. The Bible is calling us to emotional intelligence. And that means being very intentional about how we handle our emotions in the context of our relationships with other people. And you know what? I I think my observation, look around, I don't think most of us learned that when we were growing up. I don't don't think most of us had that modeled to us maybe when we are growing up. We We don't know how to do that. But you know what? We're learning, aren't we? And I think we, I think we can all succeed at this. I think we can all grow at this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to bring about God's purpose in our life. And we can grow and we can improve. But, so I want to encourage you that, that as you rely on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and as you let God use people in your life that he might want to bring across your path, to speak into your life as well, that you know what? You can find healthy ways not only to experience your emotions, but also to express them in a way that honors God.